1: This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch.
0: Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for a conversation with my new friend, Bert Bean. And Bert is the CEO of Insight Global, where he has worked for the last 15 years, first as a recruiter and then account manager and rising up through the ranks to CEO. Bert is passionate about developing a strong company culture that is based on shared values and great learning and development opportunities. Uh, Bert, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Annie. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you on. We connected a little while back, actually originally when you and some of your team had bought a ticket to attend our conference, the Talent Development Think Tank. And I know some of your team were still able to make it. You were not able to make it to the new dates, so we didn't get to meet in person. But we talked on the phone a few weeks ago, right before... The world went crazy, and uh, I remember just being really impressed with everything that uh, you guys had built from a culture perspective, from a learning and development perspective at Insight Global, and I was uh, eager to get you on the podcast to share some of that. Before we do, maybe we can start with a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks and on to the episode. Yeah.
1: So grew up in Alabama, went to school at Auburn. I know you're an SEC guy, <laughs> went to Florida. Uh, so right. went to school at Auburn, uh, majored in marketing, knew that coming out of school, I, it was important to me to find a place where I could work, where I could sort of chart my own path, if you will. It was going to reward me based off of my merits, not necessarily off of my tenure or off of my <laughs> college pedigree or lack thereof. No knock on Auburn, an Ivy League school. Right. And so that I found that in Insight Global. So that's the company where I started as a recruiter right right out of school. You know, I tell you that our company is super unique. We only hire people at the recruiter level unless you're a sort of, I would call a technical corporate person, somebody in our IT department or legal department, let's say. But we 95% of everybody starts off as a recruiter, and then we only promote from then. And so just all through the ranks, I mean, all of our sales managers, regionals, vice presidents, myself even, we all started as a recruiter at Insight Global. Now we're 3500 strong, $2.5 billion of revenue, 60 offices, and we all started at the same level. So what was attractive to me then, which I think is still attractive to, them, to most people now, is the amount of emphasis we put on giving people opportunity in training development as a way to help people grow through the ranks. Because if you're only going to promote from within, then you better be good at how you train and how you develop.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are some companies that don't do that at all. And you know they have a philosophy that they're just going to hire great talent from outside the organization and hope that they make the organization great. And then there are companies like yours that try to only promote from within. And like you said, if you're going to do that, then you've got to give people great training and development because you can't rely on other companies to do that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And we, I guess, no knock on companies that hire kind of always from the outside and hope those folks sort of make it, if you will. But it seems really unnecessary. It seems like with a little bit of care and intentionality, people can really surprise you, will really surprise you so long as you're hiring for those right sort of intrinsic attributes like high character and and hard work. So we would just rather do it that way.
0: Well, let's go back to the impetus for all this because I was really fascinated by the story that you told me when we were on the phone before. And oh, actually to jump back to that conversation too, you mentioned growing up in Alabama and going to Auburn. When we connected, we traced back to our roots, remembering we were in our respective SEC universities at the same time, me at the University of Florida and you at the University of Auburn. We realized we were actually at the same football game in uh, the fall of 2001, I think, Auburn-Florida game in Auburn.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was 2001. I remember we were three touchdown underdogs against the mighty Florida Gators under Steve Spurrier and Rex Grossman. We won that game. It was crazy. And I think we also said that we were both members of the same fraternity house. That's right. And you guys stayed at our fraternity house where I was living at the time. So it's quite possible we were there at the we're exact same time. We were in the same, same house,
0: under the, sleeping under the same roof. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. Some 19 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and then we connect s- today to do this podcast interview. It's amazing how it's a wild, out. Wild, small world. So getting back to... Insight, and you're coming up through the ranks, and the company is growing. And I remember there was kind of a change in how things are done, and the hiring kind of went on. Someone put the accelerator on hiring, right? And You end up with a lot of people. Yeah, always coming out.
1: Yeah, so it sort of went like this. So we're only promoting from within. Started in 2001, we're clipping along, we're doing great, doubling or at least growing by 50 percent for those first, I would say, six or seven years. But long by about 2000 and say 2012, we had new private equity owners. And actually, for the record, we've always had good experience with, with private equity. I've, I've got, got great things to say about private equity, so long as you're getting the the right partners. And we had these new partners. You guys do a really good job of hiring and developing people. And we were like, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's what we do. And they said, well, look, we created this model where you can see that, man, if you just hire more recruiters, you're always converting a certain amount of them to account managers. And those account managers always get productive to, to after a certain amount of months and they're generating a certain amount of revenue. And gosh, so long as you can keep your turnover where it's been, you know, there's sort of no stopping you guys. And we were sort of, we we never really looked at the business that way, but we were like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then it was sort of thrown out there like, well, man, why don't you guys just hire more recruiters? And then it should all just sort of flow through. And I'd like to say that back in 2012, I'd like to say we said something to the effect of, oh, I don't know, that sounds like there's unintended consequences there but we didn't. And so we said, yeah, let's do it. And I was the VP at the time. We just started hiring a lot more recruiters because we wanted to add a lot more salespeople. Well, what started to happen, as you might imagine, is when you start to stress the, the system in one area, you get all these sorts of issues in others. And so we started to hire more recruiters and we started noticing that we started actually converting a lesser amount of them into account managers. And then those account managers that we were promoting, it was taking longer for them to get productive. And then since it was taking longer for to get productive we started seeing more and more turnover and unfortunately how we were trying to solve the problem every year was well i guess we just have to hire even more recruiters next year Then, and that went on until about 2017 until finally turnover was so rampant throughout the company that it was just it was taking a major negative toll not only on the bottom line on EBITDA growth as you might imagine because it's very expensive to hire that many people and have that much turnover but also, just on the negativity that comes with losing a thousand recruiters a year. There's just no good way of, uh, to tell an office or a group of people that somebody decided to leave your organization. To so right. you do that a thousand different times was certainly taking its toll. And it was right around the end of 2017 that I got promoted to CEO, and actually, January of 18. We knew that we needed to make changes there. And unfortunately, it was so obvious, but we missed it. But what had happened was as we were trying to scale the business and as we were trying to grow, we just failed to to invest in training and development, totally missed it. And we totally missed the importance of it. And I think what happens is when you go from being a startup type of a company, even though we were already over a billion dollars in revenue, we still sort of ran that way and operated that way. And our training was still very sort of word of mouth, passed down. Well, this is how we did it in the old days, how you're going to do it and let me show you how it's done. And, and nothing was formalized. We had no real processes in place. And so in 2018, what we decided to do was actually that year, we said, you know what? We're actually going to reduce hiring and we're going to spend, we're really going to invest in training and development. We're going to create, Insight like Global University. We're going to create all these training guides and documents. We're going to start to literally script out what the first 90 days of recruiter's job looks like company the first 90 days of a new salesperson job should look like once they get promoted we created a ton more training classes and we really started to look at Global University as what we called sort of guardrails to our people's career we want our people to we know that if our people can make it here for years then they they're pretty much never going to leave at that point because they're seeing a ton of success they're getting promoted they're getting developed um, they're starting their career but it's how do you make sure that you set them up to have a good first you know, one to four years so that they are set up to have a good career here? So that was the sort of, I would say, first big thing that we did. And, and it was a bit of a, I don't want to say gamble, but it was a bit of a bet in that we our capital partners let us know that, okay, well, if you guys hire less people this year and you actually don't fix attrition that's going to be bad. You'll have even less account managers.
0: Right. It's a simple math formula right there. Right.
1: Right. We said, all right, yep, that's what we're going to make it happen. And so there's nothing like having your back against the wall to really focus you in on the exact things that are important and that are precious to to get right. That was what sort of did in 2018. That was at least the sort of first step that led to the turnaround where now account manager turnover in in 2018, this is our sales ring. It was over 40%. 2018 today, it's at it's just under 16%. Hmm. you know, we were recruiter attrition was going crazy in, in 2018. We were losing well over 65% of all the recruiters that we were hiring. You know, this year today, we've, we've lost, I think, two recruiters we've hired so far in, in 2020. It's early, but recruiter attrition has dropped off a cliff. And now, uh, simply by <laughs> this funny thing happens when you train and develop people really, really well. They tend to get good at their jobs and they get promoted to the next role. And so for us, the mm. next role for most of them is going from recruiter to account manager. And so we've been really happy that we've been able to still hang on to our model, which is basically hire, promote, and grow. But we've been able to do it with less recruiters that we're hiring every single year, still getting more account managers and more professional recruiters and ultimately more productivity out the other end.
0: Interesting. So, what you're saying is that when you make big investments in learning and development, you can actually get more done with less people or less need to reach more people.
1: I know. Isn't that a novel idea? But that's exactly right. And, you know, more than that, you know, your people, they see what's happening, they see what's going on. I think that they really see and appreciate the investment that the company is making and they see that it's real and they're happier and they're more protected or at least they feel more protected. And, what we've been very adamant about, and I think this is a bit unique for a sales organization, like a lot of sales organizations, we used to have, if somebody was struggling, we would have performance plans. Okay, So that means that, gosh, you're struggling. So here's this plan that you have to go on. And if you don't hit these certain, say, metrics or revenue targets or what have you by this date, then, then you're out of your role. We had that and we used that, I would say, even quite often. But in the last few years, we've said, you know what? Let's kill that. Let's kill our growth plans, if you will. And let's just trust that we're going to put the right people with the right character and the right roles that are going to work hard. And then let's just trust ourselves to just train and develop these people. And so now what we tell people is, look, if you start off slow, if you don't get off to the best start, if you're, quote unquote, behind, no big deal. So long as you're showing effort and high character and hard work, we can handle the rest. We can train you. We can keep working with you, pull you out of this one territory In another territory, fine. If we got to find other customers, fine. If we got to get your sales manager on the road with you more, no, you know, no problem, fine. But we just, you look at, at our 1,130 salespeople and there's not a single one of them that's been here more than two years that just never figured it out and never got successful. So we just very much believe if you just don't quit and if you just hang in there, then you'll, you'll make it. So that's been a sort of nice thing to be able to tell our people. Never, so long as you give us effort, we're never going to put you on a performance plan ever.
0: Mm. So if you put in the effort and give it the time, you're going to get the training and development you need. You can also give feedback and put in requests and you're going to get there and be successful. I'm assuming then based on that, that you do have to let some people go, but those are the ones that don't really put in the effort or do the work.
1: I can't tell you, I can't remember the last time we let someone go, let's say. Mm. There's people that will self-select out. I mean, our mm. account manager turnover is still at 16%. Mm. But what happens more times than not is you've got somebody that comes and says, you know what, guys, like I love the attention, love the training, love the development, but I just don't want to do this. I want to do something different. And look, sales isn't for everybody. I mean, sales is it's a grind. I mean, it is, it is very, very hard and it's, mm-hmm. it's no knock on them if they decided it's not, it's just some, it's just not right for, for some people. And so that's more times than not kind of what happens is that they just self select out.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You build that culture, you give the right development opportunities. There's some people that just decide, ah, this is not the right opportunity for me. I want to go back to the beginning because it sounds like an important part of this before you even get to the learning development is hiring the right people. And I expect being in the recruiting business that you know a little bit about how to hire the right people, but how do you, is there a formula there or advice? How do you go about hiring the best people so that they're set up already to come in and be strong?
1: Well, I tell you, we've really tinkered with this over the last couple of years because this is another thing that it's funny as you scale a business, There's certain things that you do that work amazingly well. And then over time, they kind of stop working, but you stop noticing that they don't work as well. And I think even how we hired internally had just, I don't know, we hadn't really refreshed it in forever. And so last year, we decided to take a hard look at that because one of the things that we had changed was we had created a, a new value system in 2018. We mm-hmm. called our shared values and they were crazy about them. And we had started to, to look for this one other sort of value, if you will, that's outside the five shared values, but it's it's everything, with what, it's everything about who we are. And it's, it's this word grit that we look for. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to hire less people every year. We're going to train and develop them better. But, but really what we are looking for is, is like we want to really slow down how we hire because now we're not trying to hire to infinity anymore. We're trying to really be deliberate in, in order to do that. We need to make the interview process hard. But at the same time, we need to have a lot of depth. And so what we did is, is we rewrote our interview process based off the values of our company. Okay, here are our values. Here's what's most important to us. Here's this other value, grit. This is why it's important to us. Then here's what we want to know about how you align with these values and what they mean to you. And we actually send all of, all of our candidates before they come into interview, the actual interview questions. We send them our shared values. We send them all those, all those things. And, and we want them to study them and present to us what they sort of mean. to them. And so we'll say, look, first round interview, we just want to get to know you as a person. We want to understand you and who you are. We know that you probably don't have a background in sales. We know that you certainly don't have a background in IT staffing because we don't hire anybody from, from the industry. We know that you don't. Have any sort of a background, probably being a business professional, but we just want to make sure we're hiring the right person with the right heart and the right character and with the right grit. And so we're really looking for you to sort of show us that in your first interview. Of course, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you what we do as a company. We'll give you this sort of high level. If you are still interested and you like us and if we think that, that you match up well culturally with us, then we'll go to the second round interview where we get more into the job itself. And we have actually spent a lot of time training our leaders on how to do interviews. And that's something that I don't know if most companies do that or not. This is the only place I've ever worked, but I know that we did not do that for the longest time. And we were just kicking ourselves like, how have we never trained our people on how to interview? Because it's so important. And it's really easy to sort of like BS an interview. I think if you're the one interviewing the the candidate and it's so easy to go in underprepared, it's so easy to go in and just look at a resume for the first time and shoot some questions off the hip and that's it. and, we find it's just incredibly inefficient. You're not getting a good view of this person at all. And it's also not right to the person that's coming in to interview. They're trying to get this job. They're trying to get employed and they deserve your best. And so we really are trying to teach our people to, to lean in on these interviews and to ask really good follow-up questions and to stay on a certain thread or to find something that's the person is passionate about and really go there. Cause you're really trying to get a peek into who this person is. And again, we feel like so long as we can get the right person with the right sort of character, then again, we can teach them and train them everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you are only promoting from within, then it's critical that you get the right type of people in there. You get the people with the right character because you don't want to have to worry about replacing them or bringing someone in at a higher level later on. So that early recruiting process is so important. And it's great to have leaders that know how to interview and find the right people a lot of you're right, a lot of organizations don't think as much about that, I don't think. So that's really important. And you talked about getting them set up in the first four years. If they do well in the first four years, then they're going to stay there for the long haul. They're going to have a great career. I'm finding more and more as I talk to different clients and people out there in business, especially in the talent development world, that companies are having a hard time keeping people past the two to three year mark. Employees mm-hmm. are getting frustrated with not very much communication or coaching from their manager. They don't really know where they're going with their career. They don't feel like they're getting the development they need. And so attrition's going up at that level. It sounds like you're not necessarily seeing that. So what are you doing in those first four years to make sure employees are getting what they need and they don't get frustrated and leave? So
1: I'm not surprised to hear that at all. And, and that's something that, like I said, we started to see that in 2016 and in 17. And we've really, we've sort of blown that out of the water. I mean, for us, we would say that Really, even at the two year mark, it starts to the turnover starts to drop off rapidly. So, what I'm going to tell you, Andy, is not groundbreaking. We just really, really care about our employees and we really, really obsess over their development. That's sort of it. We don't just say that and we don't just sort of it's not a tagline. And we don't, we also don't just say, oh, that's just HR's job. HR's job handles that, and our leaders do everything else. Like, in some senses, I mean, we've got an amazing HR department ourselves, and for sure, and we've got a guy named Eli Doster who runs talent strategy who is you could sort of think about him as the HRO or chief people officer, but really all of our leaders in a lot of ways, all of our leaders, sales leaders, corporate leaders, they act as HR leaders themselves and how they obsess over the development of our people. And so we've also put a lot of process around it around three, six, nine, 12 month reviews in the first year, quarterly reviews. I mean, one of our five shared values is always know where you stand. So it's making sure that our people always know exactly where they stand in their own career. And what we find is that, yeah, people get frustrated when they feel like, wait, I don't know exactly what my goal is. I don't know how to get there. And more than that, I feel like nobody really cares about my goal. And I feel like it's all sort of BS and it's not really real. And those values are just words on a wall and that doesn't apply. And so it's a hundred little things you've got to be really good at around the development of your people. And I think people are really good at sniffing out BS. And so they know if it's not right. And after a few years, if they've been there, and they find that, well, my training development is pretty shallow. I don't really have real goals. I don't quite know where I stand. I'm out. I think millennials get a really bad rap because they get blamed for leaving a lot. But really, I just think it's the company's fault right. for not actually investing in their development. Like, we're sort of, in one sense, I guess we're lucky because we're a services business. So we're only as good as our people providing that service. You have to invest in your people. But really, like, every company, whether you're selling a product or a service, you better, you're only going to be. Able
0: This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website again is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show.
1: good as how engaged your people are. That's it. You're only going to be as successful as the engagement level of your people doing whatever you're doing, selling a service, selling a product, making a product, whatever, right? Well, how do you get your people really, really engaged like 100%? You build a culture that's about taking care of your people. That's it. And that's easier said than done. But if not, like if the shareholder is number one or if the customer is always number one, and if the employee is somewhere between two and four, then your people are going to feel it, and they're just going to be like, "Okay, well, gosh, I don't trust you with my career anymore, so I'm going to leave." And I think, like, turnover is—it's funny. Maybe I'm the only CEO in America that thinks this way because I just I, this is how I've always felt. But the number one stat I care more about than more about than revenue growth, EBITDA growth, EBITDA margin—it is turnover. Employee turnover, I obsess over that number because for me, anytime somebody leaves your organization, really what they're doing is they're firing you. They're saying, mm-hmm. I don't trust you with my career anymore. Now that sounds extreme and that sounds harsh. And maybe that's not always the case, right? You know, some people really leave because it's just not, I'm just, you know what, I want to do something different. Right. But think about it. If you were really building the right type of environment, the right type of culture for that person, and you cared about them so much that they felt Rate about what they were doing, they still might leave. But chances are, they're probably not going. to. So I don't like being fired. So I'm going to work really hard to make sure that we take care of our people so they don't fire us.
0: Wow, that's a, a phenomenal way to look at it. And you're right. I don't think I've heard of any other company, certainly not a CEO that says turnover is the most important key metric that we look at. And that there are plenty that talk about the people being the most important thing. That may or may not always be the truth. But paying attention to that attrition number so critical, and, and it reminds me of a couple of different things I've learned in my journey. But one of them is a saying a long time ago that your customer experience will never exceed that of your employee experience. So so many yeah, companies pay right. talk about customer experience and ignore their employees when employees who feel like they're not being cared for are probably not going to treat your customers that well.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, how can they, right? I mean, if you're not, I mean, it's we're all human beings, right? If you don't treat me well and I don't feel good and you're my boss, then how am I just going to turn on a dime and treat the customer the best at like, just with total respect? I'm not.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So this culture sounds fantastic and culture I've learned really starts at the top and it sounds like you're leading this and you're living it and you're. I'm sure the people who report to you see that as well. I was just kind of wondering what a lot of people might be wondering is, But this has to happen throughout the organization. How do you get all of your managers on board, account managers on board, so that they are obsessively treating their people well and taking care of them and making them feel included and like they're in a great place, like they're cared for so that they don't end up leaving?
1: Yeah. So I will say it's not easy. You have to be super, super, super intentional about it. And you can't just kick it to one group. To say, and again, like, and I think that's what HR department's doing is they're doing as best, get a job as they can. But if you don't have total buy-in and engagement from the rest of the business, it's just not going to work. And so one thing that we did, it really started in 2018 with this trip that we did. We called it Compass. It really started with, I was newly promoted. I was CEO in the beginning of 2018. I had an executive coach and I was talking to him all about this. We got all these turnover problems and all these issues and I don't really know how we're going to solve them. And he asked me a question it really took my breath away. He said, Bert, what are your guys' values? <laughs> I was like, man, that's a good question. I don't really know. And we did have these things called the eight core principles. At one point, they meant a lot to the company, but we hadn't talked about them in years. I can only remember about four of them. And that was probably three more than anybody else could remember in the company. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know, I mean, We got to figure that out. The values that we have now, I don't think they mean anything to anybody. And so I started sort of thinking like, okay, well, I've got, to, I've got to write these. I've got to come up with values and write them out, and we've got to care about them. And then it hit me that I can't just do this in my office. I've got to create these sort of together with the senior leaders in the company that, we, that run the company. There was just a lot of distractions at that time at the office, and so I wanted to just get away. And that's what we did. We found a house in the middle of nowhere in Utah, and it was 28 of us in total. And we went to this house to really get some stuff figured out. We wanted to create new values. We wanted to figure out how we tackle this turnover problem, figure out how we get better at training and development, and just a whole bunch of things. So, I gave everybody a lot of homework to do before the trip. I gave them a book to read Jim Collins, Great by Choice, phenomenal book to get in the right sort of headspace. And we went to figure out all these issues. But before we got started, the very first night, we did something that was a little bit different. I really wanted to go there, if you will, as we like to call it, with our people. And so, we got in a circle, and everybody shared their proudest moments in their career and their darkest moments in their career or their lowest. And the way these things work is that everybody typically has like a rated R version of what they're going to say in their head and a PG-13 version, rated version of what they're going to say. Right. They say whichever version with whatever version the leader goes, the leader has to go first. And I went first and I went with the rated R version of my proudest moments, my lowest moments in my career, how I got through them. And then everybody else went and this crazy thing happened. Like everybody cried like multiple times. And Mm -hmm. you just heard, I mean, we had all grown up together in the company, but, and we thought we knew each other well, but we didn't know each other at that level. And you just heard crazy things come out where people had been struggling with stuff their entire career and they had never said anything to anybody. And then you would hear somebody from across the room say, I've struggled with that same thing. And, you know, brother, I got your back. You never have to walk that lonely walk again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a really powerful moment. And so, what happens when you take the mask off, as we call it, is that now we can all trust each other. There's no status management now. Like, now we can all trust each other and focus on exactly what, what's most important. And so, the next day, as you can imagine, we, by the way, that started at like 5 p.m. and went to 3 a.m. Mm. So, the next day, we were so dialed in. We knew exactly what we cared about. We knew exactly what we wanted. We, were able to, we crafted our shared values in like an hour. I mean, we were on fire. And so, we left... That trip, feeling great, feeling super connected, more than ever, and we felt like we had really stumbled onto something. But we wanted to know, like, how do we share this with the company? So what we did was we had all 28 leaders that were there. They did Compass trips with their leaders, and then they did Compass trips with their leaders. And now, everybody in the company has been through at least one Compass trip, if not two Compass trips, with their offices or sales mm. teams, what what have you. And that's where we really get to know each other. We really take the mask off. We really lean into one another in every office. We have our five shared values that our company holds dear, but we've empowered every office and every group to come up with their own sixth shared value. And you're just, you just constantly make sure that the decisions you make and the, the messages that you carry out are, are made through the lens of your values. It's something that you have to work at every day. I mean, really it really is every day. And so, I think that's what a lot of companies get wrong and we got it wrong for, for so long is that we just didn't we didn't really message them. We didn't really care about them. They didn't really mean much to us and we didn't talk about them and therefore the company unfortunately for a lot of years was I would say culturally hollow. And I think that's what you sort of have to do. Sorry that's a long-winded answer but
0: No, that's great. And I love how you actually, you know, brought people off-site and had those real conversations and gave people space to be vulnerable and share their real proudest and and worst moments. And I've been involved in a couple of things like that. And I find that when people are able to be vulnerable and really share what's on their mind, that's where true trust is built, exactly what you're talking about. And most organizations, colleagues never get to that level of trust, right? They never have those conversations. They never truly know each other. They're often hiding behind masks, like you said. So you've created a a way for people to really take off the masks and and truly connect.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Simon Sinek actually writes about this in his last book, Infinite Game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read that about three months ago. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. This is exactly what we did. And he talks about an oil company that did this. And it was a bunch of sort of, I think, roughneck type guys that all sort of did one of these trips or did one of these experiences. And they were just never the same afterwards.
0: Absolutely. And it changes everybody, but you become closer together. You realize we're all humans and it's really not that big of a deal, which is awesome. I want to make sure, and I want to ask about your proudest moment, but I want to make sure we address the challenging times we're in. Everybody's made big shifts to working remotely because of coronavirus. And I know your organization is no different. You're big on this culture and everybody communicating, feeling like they're cared about, cared for, and that sort of thing. What have you done to respond to this and support people while they're working remotely in a kind of these uncharted waters?
1: Yeah, you know, I think communication is, is key. For the record, it's not like I, I know exactly what to do here
0: either. I've
1: never never been a CEO through, through a global pandemic before we all have to work from home. So I'm sort of shooting from the hip as well. But right. I think communication is totally key. You know, I just think about myself and where I would be if I were just a two-year-end salesperson or a newer manager what would I want to hear? And I would want to hear from my CEO. So I'm I'm constantly emailing the company. I've got some pretty specific emails that go out on certain days that of course I write with things to think about. We've we've been able to sort of tweak our goals and tweak some of our processes. I host a call every Wednesday at 1130 for the whole company to sort of share what's on my mind and sort of what's going on. And I'm really, really lucky that I've got just an incredible leadership team. I mean, these men and women are just, uh, amazing I mean they were all at that first compass trip and so <laughs> we have a morning meeting every day at 8 a.m where we're talking about all the things that that we have to deal with that day and that week and what are all the new initiatives and I tell you when you can be that that close and that connected it makes iterating it makes turning on a dime incredibly easy right of a large organization incredibly easy that's just what we've been doing It's just a ton of communication very coordinated communicating communication plans with the company as to what's going on and And we've also just, we've kind of adopted this idea of our purpose as an organization. Our purpose that we have written everywhere is to grow our people personally, professionally, and financially. But we had, it's funny, while we we love that and and, and we mean it, we have been sort of feeling over the last few months that maybe there is something a little bit more to that. And we've been feeling more, and we actually talked about this at our all-company conference in January, that we feel that our purpose is really to to grow our people personally, professionally, financially, so they can take our shared values to the world around them and impact more of the world around them. That's specifically our, our contractors and our customers. And what it's done is it's given us a real opportunity. We believe very much that we have an opportunity to be the light, as we say, for so many Americans that are now that are now out of a job. Like We are not the, the heroes of the medical profession for sure. We are not those people who are really, I mean, they're in the fire risking their life every day. However, we still feel that we can contribute. I mean, you saw, I'm sure you saw the, the jobs came out last week. It was 6.6 yeah. 6. 6 million Americans found themselves unemployed. The week before that, it was 3.3 million Americans. Before that, the, the highest ever jobless claim and jobless number of, of people that, that were unemployed in one week was 695,000 in 1982. And so we've just crushed that. So there's a lot of darkness in the world, and there's a lot of people that are hurting, and we are very lucky to find ourselves in a job that your only purpose really is to put other people to work. So we think that we can, we've got a really important role to play in the country right now, and in Canada. So that's what we've done. We've taken this sort of be the light idea and have latched onto it, and our people. I am blown away with how productive they have been, with how motivated they have. They're all working from home, figuring out how to use Cisco Webex, Zoom, and Microsoft Teams. Just like me, we, we'd never use this stuff. We were not very, you know, prone to any sort of video conferencing. And it, but now they're they're doing it. And they're setting meetings. and They're screening more candidates than, than ever. And they're just they're working with a much higher purpose. Because look, somebody has to step in and help these these men and women that find themselves out of work, figure out ways to put their life back together. And we think we can help with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's trying times for our nation and for the world. And you're in a position to maybe help a lot of people who are looking for the next thing. At the same time, it's shifting where a lot of things are going, right? And there may not be as much hiring going on. And, and I'd be curious where everything might be going with your company. But I want to come back and make sure we get to a couple more questions about you and especially related to talent development and your own career. But one of them, which relates to kind of the offsite questions you had there, what's been your proudest moment in your career so far?
1: I've got several. I mean, Andy, we're, we've only talked to each other twice. I probably can't yep. go full nude on you, as, <laughs> as, as we like to say. But I tell you, one of them for sure was we have two large conferences every year, one in January, one in the summer. And on the sort of day before the big conference, we have our all of our leadership that, that come into town and, and we do leadership meetings for them. And, and typically, those have always been sort of ran by me and let's say our, our presidents and, and our vice presidents. However, this past summer's leadership sort of meetings, we'd gotten so big and there were now 400 plus people in leadership that there wasn't a room big enough for all of us. And so we had to divide up into this like awkward five different sort of conference rooms. And because of how sort of busy we were with the conference that we were planning for, which was the next day, we really needed to turn to our sort of frontline managers to step up and to, and to run all these different leadership meetings. And I wasn't even able to be all that involved. In, coordinating exactly what they were going to say. A lot of our regional managers did that. It was one of those those moments where I, I couldn't be that, that involved. And so anyway, the day before conference came and these leadership meetings started to happen. And so I just bounced around to a bunch of them just to sort of put my head in to see what was happening. And I was totally blown away by how our leaders had stepped up and were running these meetings better than I ever have. And it was just a really, I don't know if this will make sense to, to your listeners, but for me, a leader that had always sort of felt the burden on that it's sort of on me to do this and to get it right, to be put in a situation where I was almost forced to have no control and then to see it executed at such a high level was just such an amazingly proud moment for me. I, mean, I was just blown away. And that was when I really knew that, wow, we've got a really special leadership team here.
0: That's so fantastic. That's and it is a proud moment when you release control and you're setting other people up for success that they can go and do that and they don't need you in the room is very freeing as well. All right, we'll go to the other side. And I don't know if we can go to the R-rated version and maybe the PG. <laughs> but what's been your biggest mistake or failure or learning moment, one of at least in your career?
1: You know, I would say I made a lot of mistakes. So there's, there's a lot to choose from there. So, yeah. you know, cataloged by year. But I would say there were two times I feel like that I had to take somebody out of their role and I had just done a really, really bad job of communicating with them their deficiencies, the things that they were struggling with, and things moved a little too fast, and all of a sudden I was put in a position where I had to take them out of their role, and I had not had the guts enough to level with those people as to exactly why they were struggling.
0: If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank Membership Community. slash community, and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know, and we'll see you there.
1: Why they were failing, and it was a really, both of them were really crappy conversations because they're sitting there thinking they're doing sort of okay, maybe not killing it, but they don't think they're about to be taken out of their role, and now I'm demoting them. That was no fun, and that was a huge mistake on my part, and I learned a ton. Fortunately, I wish I would have learned it from the first one I did. not but after the second one, I did how you've got to level with people and you've got to let them know where they stand. You owe it to them as their leader. And if you don't, you know, shame on you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that earlier that one of your principles there is that people always know where they stand. And we've all made mm-hmm. that mistake where we put that off, that feedback off, right? Because we didn't want to give it the time. Yeah, it's and uncomfortable. It, it right. It mounts and mounts. And then you have this really uncomfortable, terrible conversation. Mm hmm. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Are there any other, you know, I'm sure as you're, since I believe you develop most of the stuff you do internally from a talent development perspective. So you're probably always, and I know you read a lot of books and you're always taking a look at what's going on out there in the world. Any trends, major trends you're following, especially with regards to talent development?
1: It's funny, trends, the one trend I would say is this, what we always say about ourselves is that we use culture as a causation for success. And so I do think there is a big trend out there with, Simon Sinek's of the world and the Daniel coils, Daniel coils of the world that just talk about the crazy importance of using culture in your company. And yeah, it's funny. We're, you know, none of us went, none of us have our our MBAs. We've only ever worked here. So we're so, I mean, that's, it's, you can have a cool, a fun sort of culture if you're only promoted from then, but unfortunately you can be very insulated and so you can be sort of late to finding out what other companies are doing what other trends are doing. We just, we read everything we, we can find. And I do really like Simon Sinek and everything that guy says. And, and I would say that is a trend that is pretty popular out there. It's just really hard to execute on because the culture thing, it kind of makes people uncomfortable a little bit. Are we really going to talk about that stuff? And Are we really yeah. going to go there? And boy, I'd rather put my mask on because I feel safe behind the mask. And I'd rather just sort of do that. And that, that's a hard thing to do. And so we, we know that and we had aspirations of getting into our own culture consulting business because we've had enough customers now that have asked us about it and asked us right. to do it. But we know that that's going to be challenging in itself because you know, unless you have a leader at the top that's really committed to that, it's hard for something like culture change, in my opinion, to really to take hold. It doesn't mean we're not going to try it. I mean, we did it ourselves. But you've got to have a leader that's really what I call convicted and hungry for it. I mean, I was convicted. I was borderline desperate for it in my new role as CEO because I mean the turnover couldn't have been worse. Negativity was rampant throughout the company. There was not a lot of faith in the company. I mean the wolf was at the door for sure. So I sort of I had no option and I was desperate to have culture change. So I had to make it work. And you know, ideally that's the type of customer that we'd be looking for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities out there, a lot of companies that we'll be looking for help on that. And we always look to those who have done it well or have studied it. And I usually ask about a book. You already mentioned The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Interestingly enough, you are the second CEO that I've interviewed today. And both of you mentioned this book, The Infinite Game. So that tells you there's definitely some good content in there and one that uh, people should be checking out. Any others that you recommend for those trying to build a great culture?
1: Yeah, I think Dan Coyle. The culture code is really good. I read that in April of 18 and it really shaped how I think as a leader for sure. Dan studied the top cultures in the world, everybody from Pixar to the Navy SEALs to the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich, and sort of found out they, they seem to do three things really well and that is they build safety, they share vulnerability, and they establish purpose. It's a great book. I tell you, I do love Jim Collins. I mean, he's got, I mean, all of his stuff is gold, but The one that I really like is, and it's really appropriate now because he wrote this sort of as a response to 2009, I believe, how to sort of navigate a tough economy, but it's great by choice. It's a phenomenal book.
0: Awesome. Great recommendations there. And last question for you, for any learning professionals out there or even CEOs or executives who are trying to build a great culture and be successful in their own careers, what's one more piece of advice you would give?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say, one, you've got to be willing to go all in. I mean, you have to be willing to burn the boats and go on this idea of culture change and building a strong culture. And then the second thing you have to do right after that is you've got to get you a circle of people around you that are totally bought in, that are totally committed with you, because you cannot do it by yourself. You've got to have other people helping you out. I sort of call them my, my turnaround people, if you will but they have to share your same vision. They've got to believe it. And they're only going to believe it if you're there leading out in front. So get your people around you that you trust with your life truly and be convicted and uh, focus on it every single day.
0: I love it. Go all in. Get a great team of people around you who are also convicted, who are bought in, who are supportive and go for it and take action every day. Well, Bert, this has been uh, fantastic. You provided... So much great, not only experience and wisdom, but just some great advice in how to go out and build a great culture. It's been great for me. I know it's been useful for our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. All right, thanks a lot, Andy. Take care. All right, bye. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.